The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. I have the privilege today of concluding the Sermon on the Mount series that we have called The Sermon Jesus Preached. And we've spent a lot of time on this. Hopefully in this time, you have been encouraged to go to those chapters in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, and look at those words. There was a man in, in the U.S. who, uh, who's an author. He wrote a book, many of you maybe heard 20 years ago, called Would You Not Tarry One Hour? And it's about praying. But years before he got saved, he found himself in a mental institution and his mind wasn't working properly. He was completely lost. And his grandmother came to him one day and said, just read the red and pray for power. And what she was referring to is some Bibles have all Jesus' words printed in red. The entirety of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are all red. They're completely straight from the mouth of Jesus. And so this man began to pray and ask God for power when he read the red. His mind not only came back to him in clarity of thought, but he became a church leader, an author, and a preacher in the land. God completely transformed his life because of the words of Jesus. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we need to say, this is important. And not that all the Word of God is important, but here is something key. And let's just back up for a minute, because I want to show you how Jesus is being presented here. Um, One time I was at a church, well, actually it was online, and a famous preacher was coming to this small church, and the church was very happy that he was coming. They were very honored that this great preacher was coming to their church. And so somebody got up to the stage and introduced him and said, the venerated, the awesome, the writer of great books, life-changing trends... And I thought, oh my goodness, this is cringeworthy. This is terrible. The poor guy's got to speak after this. You know, it's like over the top big. But Matthew here gives a lead up to this sermon that is unlike any other. And when you hear it, I think you'll agree with me that he's setting the stage for something we need to pay attention to. So today I want to go through the lead up to the sermon, to the content of what Jesus said, and then Most notably today is the king's challenge, how he ends this amazing sermon. First of all, if you go with me, if you have your Bibles or your phones, you'll see in chapter 1 that Matthew begins laying out the fact that Jesus is of royal birth. In fact, traces his lineage all the way back to Abraham. He is a son of Abraham. He is a son of David. He is in the royal line. Then later in chapter 1, We hear of angels appearing and telling this virgin woman that she's going to have a baby unlike any other. Chapter 2, we note that the wise men come, or the kings from the east. What's interesting in Matthew's gospel is that there's no mention of the shepherds here. 
Because I think you'll see in a moment that Matthew is concerned that you know that this man, this one who's being born, is a king and no small king. Later in chapter 1, the angel even says he'll be referred to as Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. That's not the name his parents gave him. That's the name that came from heaven, one of his titles, God with us. Then it moves on in chapter 2, and it talks about Jesus um, going to Egypt, Herod trying to kill him, and each section in here, Matthew says, this fulfills this part of the prophecies. This is another prophecy being fulfilled by Jesus. Again and again and again, the pattern is created within this, that this is no small king. Then in chapter 3, we have the appearance of John the Baptist. And what are the first words of his ministry? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of You can't have a kingdom without a king. Somebody's coming that's representing the kingdom. Then later he says, one is coming after me who is so great, so one is coming who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then we end that chapter with the baptism of Jesus. And what happens? Heaven's open and everyone hears his voice. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew is setting us up for a sermon that we need to take note of. Chapter 4, we know that the devil comes to tempt Jesus. It's notable that the first two times the devil comes to tempt Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, if you are trying to undermine his very existence and position, if you are. And he stands through it, as we know. Then in chapter 4, he begins his ministry. And what are the first words of Jesus' ministry recorded? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. He calls his disciples to himself. He begins to proclaim what the scriptures call the gospel of the kingdom. And crowds begin to gather. This is a great time. Crowds begin to come in from Syria, from the other side of the Jordan, from all over Judea and Jerusalem. It's this massive swarm of people are coming to Jesus. Something is stirring in the land. And then... Jesus climbs upon a mountain with this mass of people, all different languages, all different backgrounds, all different homes that they come from in different communities and cultures and ways of thinking. They all sit on this mountain. And here's Jesus. What is he going to say? Sometimes we pass by things that are significant. But this manifesto of Jesus, this gospel of the kingdom, this message, this constitution, if you will, of the kingdom is about ready to be given. And it says, 
he opened his mouth. Right in the beginning of Matthew in chapter 2, it says he opened his mouth. As I was thinking about this, just because it's, it's profound, this amazing lead up to who Jesus is, surrounded by thousands possibly of people. And it says there was a moment where he opened his mouth. I had just finished reading Revelations and I came to the end of chapter 4. And you know the bit in Revelations where all these letters are given to the different churches. There's spoken messages. Right after the messages, in the next chapter it says, John, the apostle, was standing there and he saw heaven in a door being opened. It's the same kind of thing. Here is the Son of God declared even above the clouds. And he's now going to open us something, open up to us something that we have no access to. As surely as John the Apostle couldn't have climbed into heaven. So here, Jesus is opening his mouth. And what he's about to say, no beautiful poet, no brilliant philosopher could come up with. Because it's not of this earth. It's of a completely different place. He is the one who was there and he's come down to us as king. And he's going to open up to us something that is beyond us. When I read this sermon sometimes, I don't get it sometimes. Sometimes it's actually, I know I shouldn't say that as a pastor, but sometimes I'm like, I just don't get this. Turn the other cheek? What? Like, they just don't measure up to the culture that I was brought up in. They're different. And other times, when my heart is in a different position, I see the beauty of it. And part of me can roll through it or swim through it. Say, oh my goodness, this is amazing. What you're hearing in the Sermon on the Mount is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. It is a gospel that has come to us, not because of philosophies or great poets, but because somebody has been there and brought it down to us. Just skip ahead for a minute. I, there's a bit that Jesus even drops these little bombs. Like you, you, We're so used to it, we don't even know that this was a bomb at the time. But in the middle of a prayer, he says, forgive others and you'll be forgiven. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've just said, I have to forgive to receive forgiveness? That's monumental. That came from heaven. Years ago, I was watching the news, and I love the news too much maybe, but the leader of Lebanon at the time, and this is 10, maybe 12 years ago, his son had been killed by Hezbollah. Completely just... And this was the boy who was supposed to come up and, and lead Lebanon. And there were those calling for retaliation. And there was much voice in the community like, retaliation, you know, we got to get him back. And the father said, no, we'll have none of that. In the midst of the grief of his own son, something of the gospel of the kingdom had come into him. Says, no, we don't do retaliation like other other cultures or faiths. We have something else more precious. We have forgiveness, and I'm not going to let hold of it. 
The gospel that Jesus preached has changed the world thousands of times, stopped thousands of battles. And even now, those of you who are praying about the present battle with Putin, here's one way you can pray for him. Father, every word of truth that's been spoken from the word of God, everything he's heard in his orthodox tradition, every truth that's been spoken, God, let it be reminded to his heart and soul. Bring conviction. You are the one who's closer to him than any of his oligarchs or anyone else. You can speak a word that no one else could speak and you could change his heart. God, rise up the word in his heart. Pray for that. That's one avenue because the word of God has power. It stopped retaliation in Lebanon. It stopped it from getting worse and worse. This word that came from heaven has changed the course of the world. Now, as we skip ahead here, we're going to get more into the content. And I want to tell you something that, that I realized in my reading of Scripture. My mind often jumps when I hear eternal life or life. Oh, that's heaven. When Jesus begins to speak of eternal life, it is not necessarily just about in heaven. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So eternal life is now. We get it before heaven. We live in life now. He came to give us abundant life now. So when you hear him speak about words like life, it's not the distant future. It's now. So keep that in mind because we can jump into eternity and things beyond us, but they're now words. Here's Jesus then. Let's get into the content. We're going to jump to the content now. Jesus is on this mountain. He opens his mouth. What doesn't come from his mouth is do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that. He first of all begins to lay out the values of the kingdom. Mercy. Peacemakers. Poor in spirit. These do not fit the cultures of the earth. This is from heaven. He's starting to lay out the values that God looks down. When he sees his creation, he says, this is what I value. This is important to me. And he even has some very serious warnings in there too. Jesus in, in, five, in chapter 529 says, I'll read it. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members of your body than your whole body thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It's worth noting that none of the disciples ever plucked out their eye or cut off their hands. And honestly... If they followed this literally, they should have all been handless and eyeless, okay? Should have been a, a bunch of blind guys with no hands or feet or whatever else because that's what it says. But he's not speaking that way. He's telling you the value of the kingdom. Sin separates our hearts from God. And Jesus has come 
to bring us to God. He knows that that little sin that you make an excuse for can flourish and become a crop that you do not want to harvest. I know a mother who prays for her boys or prayed for her boys. And she said, God, every time they start drinking, let them all get sick. <laughs> because she had seen the dangers of it. She'd seen how far it can go. And she wanted it to be nipped in the bud. She'd seen it. And so she knew, just like Jesus is looking and saying, when you sin or when you're tempted to sin, cut it off. Get rid of it. Don't let it nearby. You don't know the harm it's going to do to you. Beware. Now, and, and I hope you can take that in. He's saying that sin is, a, he, he's coming from heaven and saying, you don't fully know what it does to your soul. You don't know what it looks like from heaven. But don't sin. Billy Graham said it best. He said, every thought that comes to our mind, we're not responsible for. We're only responsible for the thoughts that we make a nest for, okay? And some thoughts want to make a nest in your brain. Lust, desires beyond things. And this is the next thing Jesus begins to address after he speaks about purpose. Because he says, you don't want to do these things because you are salt and light. This is purpose. It's almost like he's saying, you don't know who you are. You're not just a human being on this earth who's going to live and die. You are salt. You get to preserve the earth. You are light. You get to shine forth the kingdom of God to a dark world. You are these things. This is your purpose. This is your destiny. And then he says the heart matters. He talks about lust and anger, retaliation, generosity, love, not judging others, forgiving and not being anxious. All these things, he says, don't. I know because I'm from heaven. I know you don't want these things. Don't participate in them. Take them seriously, particularly in lust. He says, cut your hand off. Don't go cut your hand off. That's not going to help. But treat it seriously. This is a value of the kingdom. Sin separates our hearts from God. Jesus is dealing in the content of this sermon with the hindrances to the expression of the kingdom of God on earth. And he's also highlighting the things that make things shine, make us shine. This sermon, this open mouth that Jesus has brought, speaks of what we are to be and to do, not from a do and don't point of view, but from a point of view that you are an expression of the kingdom of God. Now, I love history and I love news, as I've already said. There are so many stories and truths of people who have expressed the kingdom in difficult circumstances. Some of us maybe think of Mother Teresa, you know, going to India and, and helping the suffering there. She came to America, I think in the 70s or 80s, I remember seeing it on the news, and she went to um, hospitals where people were suffering with HIV because the church really didn't know how to even deal with it. They wanted to keep their distance at that time just because of the quagmire of, of all the values. But she came unconcerned what any feedback would be. She was concerned about the suffering of people and she wanted to ease their suffering. That was her heart. She was bringing the kingdom to people who were lost. She wanted to minister to them. Now that's a big case. Many of you would say, I can't be a Mother Teresa. I'm not going to India. I know a, 
a pastor in the U.S. whose mother, when he was just a child, was pulling her hair out literally. She was about ready to give up as a mother and run. And a neighbor lady who was a Christian down the street knew she was having difficulties. And I don't know if it was in prayer or what, but one day she said, I can't just sit here and let this harm happen. She made a, a blueberry pie, it was. Very American. And she brought it to the woman's house, this pastor's mother's house, said, here, just wanted to let you know that I care about you and love you. She gave her a note. And, and the woman looked at her and said, thank you very much. Closed the door. And behind that door, she wept. She just wept and wept and wept. Developed a relationship with this woman. They met. They'd have tea, coffee. And she led her to, the, to Christ. This expression of the kingdom, of going where you're maybe a little intimidated because you don't know what the response is going to be. But the fruit of this, and I think of this often because we think of, what's my life going to make a difference of? How can I make a difference? I'm just me. That one blueberry pie and that one outreach led this woman to Christ, her husband to Christ, and the whole family to Christ. So much so that her son, that I knew, grew up to become a pastor. And her other son became a missionary to one of the hardest-reached places in the earth. He was literally a missionary in, in Kazakhstan, not a hostile environment. This one woman's pumpkin, or not pumpkin pie, blueberry pie had a made a difference. It was an expression of the kingdom. It was love reaching out in a place where they were intimidated by the, by the possible result of this kindness. But it made a difference. Expressing the kingdom matters. There's a man many of you may know, well, maybe not. He, he was a Chinese man named Watchman Nee. How many people have heard of Watchman Nee? Great, great, great. Another great, great, wonderful person who from the 60s and 50s in China um, was loving and preaching and having great response. The communist government rose up his very young converts to speak against him in public. And he had to listen on trial as these young men had to speak about his, his activities against the communist government. And they used these false claims and everything to jail him and put him away for years. But he had to stand there and watch the ones he loved and ministered to turn on him because they were forced to. And then be put in prison and separated from his family. He loved God. In the prison, he was in a prison all by himself, this one floor all by himself. They kept him away from everybody else. And the only way they found out about the rest of his life was because the one guard that was there most days. And he said he would just hear him singing hymns year after year, day after day, just expressing his love to God regardless of his circumstances. This was an expression of the kingdom. Of the kingdom. And it might not have had a wide audience, but it affected that man. Another story from China um, in a book called uh, the, the Heavenly Man by Watch, uh, Brother Yun. 
Hopefully you've read that. It's a stirring book. It's a powerful book. It's filled with expressions of the kingdom. There's one man he recounts in this, not Brother Yun, but another Chinese man who was put in prison for his faith in Jesus. And he refused to recant Jesus because Jesus was worthy to have people suffer for him. One day, the prison, the prison guards took him outside in front of the prison and released him, stating that he'd finally recanted his faith. He's free to go. Everybody needs to know that this man also thinks that Jesus is just no one. The man was free. Do you think he ran to the hills to go, you know, preach or do something else? It's an amazing story, and it may even bother you. But what this man did is he bought a house, a small, tiny little house next to the perimeter of the prison. And he lived in that house for years and years. And he'd go out of the house once a day or once a week to get his food. And he lived there like a prisoner because he wanted the whole community to know that Jesus was worthy of people who wouldn't recant his name. So he lived like a prisoner, even though they wouldn't let him in the prison. He lived there to declare to his community that Jesus was worthy. That is an expression of the kingdom. So, we come to the challenge now. We come to the challenge that is at the end of this wonderful sermon in red. If you come to the end of Matthew 7, we find these amazing words. Everyone, this is uh, chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had, founded, it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And great was the fall of it. I've heard this used like eternity. You've got to build your life on Jesus or, or your life is worthless and you know, you're going to go to hell. And there's some application to it there. But really, Jesus is talking about life now. He's not talking so much about future in heaven or getting to heaven. He's saying there's a big difference today. You Syrians, you Judeans, you Galileans, those of you living on the other side of the Jordan, all you different races, all you different cultures, you've heard from heaven. You've heard my words. Now, you have two choices. You'll either be one who hears and does, or you'll be one who hears and doesn't. Okay? So the one who hears and does, that is what he's looking for, to do the will of God, to do and express a kingdom. Those who don't have other options. They can be those who hear 
and tell everybody else to do it. They never do it themselves. They can be those who hear and write really great books on the Sermon on the Mount and never do it. They can be those who hear and really appreciate it and think this is beautiful, this is great, but never do it. If you paid for a gym membership, okay, how many athletes do we have out there? I think about going to the gym. <laughs> I really do. I think hard. And I've been through the whole beginning of it. You know, they tell, okay, you got to do this weight, this heavy, you know, then you got to do this rep and you got to do this rep at this time. And then you go over to the treadmill, get your heart rate up to here, but don't go past because you're an old man. And then all these other things. And you can pay for all this coaching and all this training. But if you go and you never pick up a weight, it's not going to do you any good. You might be an expert on the treadmill. Oh, that's a 9-11-50. That thing goes really fast, but you got to be careful. I know that one. Those weights are good for you here and here and here. You should try that. Those, oh yeah, that's excellent for your back. But they never do it. Isn't that foolish? He's saying that if you do this, inevitably every person on earth is going to have a difficult season. The storms of life will come. The disappointments, the discouragements, the heartache, the pain, the bewilderment. But looking up to heaven and saying, God, what are you doing? These days will come. He says, now. Loving your neighbor is a weapon to help you survive. Caring about others is a weapon, in a sense, that will help you survive the storms of life. Getting your eyes off yourself alone and living a life that we begin to think of others and we think of Christ, that we love God with our whole heart and we love our neighbors as ourselves. This will preserve you through the seasons of life. But if you just appreciate it, Storms will come. Difficulties will come. You might make it through. You might come through. And I'm speaking from some of my own storms. I know you have yours. You make it through and you're barely made it. Your house is battered and beaten because the winds came and I wasn't fully ready. The same can be true of us. Or we can do and actively pursue it. I want to end on this note. I'm reading a book with a friend of mine. We're going through sections of it. And there's this really great section on being a good father, what you can do to be a good father. And there's another section about you can really be a good husband, how this is other ways you can love your wife and all this stuff. And I said to him, this is really good stuff. I see some great ways that I could better love my wife and treat my children without harshness or you know, come at another angle. And then he sends me this, this text. If you don't devote yourself to it, it's all just worthless and you don't really mean it. <laughs> now, I paraphrase this. I, I mean, I changed it. He was a little gentler with me. But I thought, it's so true. I can read a book and say, yes, this is wonderful. This could make a difference. This is good stuff. And not devote myself to it. Not make this the primary concern of my life. That this is what I'm going to do. Now, if you are one of those today who say, I agree with Matthew's assessment, 
I agree with his case that he made for the, for, for the Christ. That this is the Son of God. That his words are unlike anyone else. That these are important words. These are life-changing, world-changing words that I want to devote myself to making part of my heart. It won't happen if you don't spend time with Jesus. It won't. You can do a lot of good works, but it won't be the will of the Father and you'll get corrupted and lost. I mean, you can try and, and ask him in humility to come along. And he, he can do good things. But the first thing Jesus said is hear. That's not just hearing once. You need to make a pattern of hearing the voice of God. Hearing the word. Soaking in it. Let it become part of you. Devoting yourself to it. It's got to be. You hear it week after week. I know it. I sit here too. And the heart of this church that, that, that I haven't been part of for years, but I've been here for almost three years now, the heart of this church is that you pray, that you read the word, and that you get to know your Father in heaven. If you go to the gym and don't pick up the weights, okay, I ask you to do this. If you've wanted to do and to get in the word and hear and do. Establish a friendship with somebody and say, hey, will you walk this out with me? Talk to somebody you know that you look up to. I want my life to express the kingdom. I want not just to survive the storms of life, but I want my life to be salt and light. I want my life to measure up to what Jesus is saying because these are his words. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.